Hello and welcome everyone to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here with Dave Fuhr. Dave started his career as the opposite of conscious capitalism. After receiving college degrees and winning a New York State athletic title, Dave was convinced life was about individual achievement. But being diagnosed with cancer twice in his 20s and then losing his father to cancer caused a profound evolution. My favorite word, of course. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That African proverb now more accurately represents Dave's beliefs about business and about life. I'm really looking forward to this discussion today because Dave is now the co-founder and CEO of Grit Health, and that's grit with a Y, because there is no I in grit. The first healthcare company started and run by young adult survivors and caregivers. Grit's purpose is empowerment of individual decision-making. They're making healthcare more human by giving people information to make decisions that reflect their life, not just their disease. And through Grit's free app called Stupid Cancer, they are empowering people in every state and across 80 countries with information to live on their terms. Welcome, Dave. So glad to have you today. Thank you. It's my honor. I'm really excited to be with you today. Um, so great question about where to start. Uh, I think so many of us start down a path in life and we think we know what our life is about or what kind of life we're building for ourselves. Um, and for me, that involved college. It involved being an athlete. Um, you know, it involved a lot of the things that, you know, uh, dreamily we hope our life will become. Um, and uh, midway through my twenties, I had my first cancer diagnosis. Um, and that was an interruption, but it wasn't really a profound change in my life. Uh, I had a second diagnosis a few years later, um, and that one really took away a lot of the things that I thought my life was going to become. You know, my ability to be a father, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it took away my ability to feel well for a year. You know, the really profound things in your twenties, um, and it, it all of that kind of left me at this place of. 30, trying to figure out what my life was going to become because the path I had started down had been changed so much. So what were you doing for for work at that point? So I had uh, finished my MBA at RIT here in Rochester. Uh, I had taken a job uh, working for a consulting company, and I was a researcher. And, you know, intellectually, I loved that because the work that I did was around innovation, and it was about understanding, you know, who as people and what we're really trying to accomplish below the superficial level, right? Things don't affect us because of obvious reasons. They affect us because of sometimes very hidden reasons. And intellectually, I loved that career because my whole job and really passion was about uncovering those things that, you know, drive people to do what they do. Mm. And and so really there, I, I can only imagine it wasn't just out of nowhere that this idea for, for grit and for, mm. for the app, app came about. So tell me about how that maybe idea was seeded or or how it evolved over time. And and that's grit with a Y, by the way, because there's no I in grit. I don't want to take your tagline, <laughs> but I do really like that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, like most things in life, uh, I can claim no really brilliant moment. Like, you know, I didn't fall off the toilet sure. and the flux capacitor was invented, you know, like back to the future. Uh, for me, it was more the process of trying to rebuild. And the first really major thing that happened was uh, I met a community of young adult survivors and caregivers like me. And uh, that community is called Stupid Cancer. Um, And just finding others that could relate to what I was going through. And, you know, it's almost like you don't have to explain because people just know when you have such shared things, especially things as intense as cancer. Um, And it just 
you know, sort of changed my life so much that I wanted to be a part of it. And I joined their board and really started to get involved. And it was around that time in 2013 that there really wasn't anything in mobile yet, you know, especially for younger people with cancer, everything was moving to mobile and nobody was really doing it in a serious way. And we thought, boy, what a platform to bring people together wherever they are or whatever they're dealing with. Um, because in the real world or the hospital, you might not see somebody, right? And that was the genesis of this whole thing. Wow. So, so tell me a little bit, because I'm, I'm thinking of the, the Grit app and, and also the Stupid Cancer app, sorry. And, and how, does, how does that fit in with what Grit Health is doing? Where are the, where are the intersections and how are they growing together? Yeah, thank you. I love that question. Um, we didn't know when we first started, you know, we, we didn't know what we were building. We just knew that we wanted to connect people who felt as alone as we did. And so the first year that we launched this app in the world, uh, there was a quarter million interactions of people just connecting and, you know, a young woman going through cancer, finding another woman at the same age with the same type of cancer. All of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I'm not in this on my own, you know, or caregivers, for example, don't want to burden their loved one. And so, you know, allowing a caregiver to connect with another caregiver is such an empowering thing because they can be open without feeling like they're burdening their loved one, you know, and, and these really private moments are what exploded the app. Um, and really everything that we're doing now grew from just the desire to connect at those moments when we oftentimes feel really alone. So when you created the app, was there an idea of, of eventually it was going to turn into a business or, or was it just kind of figuring out as you went along and looking two steps ahead? I wish I could say I was that smart. <laughs> no, uh, we literally had no idea where we were going. Um, and, you know, I think for us that was an advantage because we weren't trying to force something. We were just trying to allow something. And that's been the lesson for me in that, you know, any idea, any, any any sort of seed that you start with, you know, idea is going to change. And us starting with that idea of just connecting people is what turned into everything that we're doing. So uh, I can't claim any grand wisdom whatsoever. <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting when, when talking about the app. I know that we've talked in the past about, uh, you know, some of the, especially people are, are concerned about the way that their data is being used mm. and especially the way that people are monetizing things. And, and, and you actually have uh, a very unique kind of setup where, where it's basically all to, to benefit the, the, well, I don't know if you yeah. call them, do you call them patients or? Yeah, I, community. Okay. Yeah, the, the community on the app. Yeah, um, because we're survivors and caregivers ourselves, that's a really big concern for us. And so um, it's a, a principle to us that we never do anything without asking that person first, right? We always want it to be on our terms. And so uh, we provide information to people and ask them if they want to learn about different things, but we're never selling their data or doing anything without their sort of knowledge because we've been in that situation and we are in that situation. So it's, it's part of what makes us who we are. And then, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that allows them then to um, opt into mm -hmm. certain certain studies or experimental procedures that, you know, are very hard for people to recruit for those. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and we sort of um, work in a, a huge variety of areas. So tonight, for example, uh, Kelly Bevier, 
who's a young adult cancer survivor, and she was on America's Got Talent as a semifinalist. Uh, she's going to be on the app and do a live interview with what it was like to talk to Simon Cowell and to receive to win the Golden Ticket Award. So that's Tuesday night tonight. And then uh, in two days, we're going to have a, a, a program that's led by licensed therapists about dealing with depression and anxiety. And so that's very much a psychosocial support. Um, and then next month, we'll do things about uh, clinical trials. You know, and, and really, our platform is just a connection. And then whatever we choose to connect around is sort of how we use it. Wow. So I, I do want to get into kind of your own personal journey, but but real quickly, uh, for those that are interested, um, where can they find more about you, and kind of where are you right now in the in the growth path for for grit? Where do you where do you see that going? Yeah. So the best place to find us is just Google Grit Health. It's G R Y T. Uh, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram or the website are great places to start. Really, because you can see who we are. You know, meet our team and and hear our stories. R- read about why this is so important to us. So so we started this company in February of 2016. So we're now two and a half years Congrats. in. <laughs> Thank you, which doesn't seem real. You know, and really it was myself and a, a couple of people, you know, working in our spare bedrooms in the beginning. Um, and today we have a team of 11 people um, and some of the most dedicated, you know, just brilliant people whose lives have all been interrupted. You know, everybody on our team and really everybody on our app has a story that's worthy of Ted. You know, they're mm. all really intense stories. And, you know, together, we're, we're kind of this family that just really believes in what we do. And so it's it's amazing. I don't say I come to work. I just live this thing, you know? I can tell. I can tell you definitely live it. So what is then five years, 10 years down the road, where are you hoping to take this? Is it is it growing the community or how do you uh, strengthen the ties that are already in the community? What's what's success yeah, look like? Yeah, boy, you're, you're digging into the heart of this whole thing. Really for us, what matters is removing the patient label, right? Because when we think of ourselves as a patient, we're dependent on others, right? We're dependent sure. on somebody to give us information or to tell us what to do. When we think about ourselves as healthcare consumers, all of a sudden we're like on, you know, uh, pick a platform like uh, Uber or um, Airbnb. You know, these are consumer platforms where somebody picks whatever is the right house for them or the right ride for them. Healthcare should be exactly the same, right? Never before than right now are there more options for us to choose and we as individuals should be in charge of that. We, we shouldn't surrender that, really. And so your question about where I see us grit in, in five years is really you know, leading this movement about making us feel like consumers in healthcare and making healthcare fit us and our humanity more than just the disease which unfortunately is how it's been for a lot of history. Yeah. Yeah. And I so. think, I think that consumer mindset, um, goes, goes beyond cancer even. So is there, are, are there opportunities or, you know, going beyond other kinds of avenues for, for support? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you think about any chronic disease, right. Um, juvenile diabetes, type one diabetes or lupus or any health condition, you know, that applies because, Typically, they're very interruptive. You know, I think I said in my TED talk that experience is what happens when life betrays what we expect. You know, and and my my life, cancer betrayed what I expected, um, and I'm grateful to where it brought me, but it's now taken me a decade, and I really want to make that time a lot shorter for people. Interesting, yeah. interesting. So I'm thinking as well when when we're looking at at grit and your your growth. 
What are some of the things that you see that, that might either hold you back or what are kind of the sticking points to, to continuing that growth? Are there, I, I don't know, but are there other, so to speak, competitors out there or, or uh, is, it, is it hiring? What, what are the kinds of things that are keeping you from continuing to grow? Me. <laughs> what I mean by that is uh, as an entrepreneur and um, a conscious capitalist, right, I have to remind myself that my idea is just the start. But when you build something, what you're really doing is building something for others. And, you know, me allowing our team to create what the team feels is right is more important than what Dave feels is right, right? And so I jokingly say the limiter is me, but in reality, I have to trust the people around me with my whole heart because they will build something better than I will build on my own, right? And so allowing our team to be really wonderful is the first step. And then allowing the community because, you know, we never know what any individual needs. And, you know, every program we start, the first thing we do is go listen to our community because we might be really on or we might be really off, sure. but that's going to be somebody else's decision, not mine. Interesting. Oh. Wow. So we're going we're gonna to have to already, or there's going to have to be a part two of we, this. We can but... feel the rabbit hole <laughs> starting to really burrow from this. No, because I'm, I'm really interested in, um, I, I guess that gives us a good segue to talk a little bit about your, your personal journey. Uh, you know, I'm guessing that, I mean, obviously you had a, a very life-altering event, but I'm guessing that right from the get-go, it doesn't just turn into this more this more conscious yeah. approach to to life, but also to, to business. Certainly, you know, you need to uh, relearn things and you need to, to develop new habits. So, so what was that like after uh, the second time surviving cancer? How do you start from? Did you did you start from scratch? Could you go back to an old job? Did you not want to go back because you had more of a purposeful mindset at this point? How yeah. how did that start to happen? Have you ever seen the movie Castaway? Of course, with yeah. Tom Hanks. Yeah. Um, I uh, uh, I relate so much to that movie because uh, I was flying along at forty thousand feet in the air, and then all of a sudden my plane dropped out of the sky, and I felt like I was an, an island all on my own, and the things that. I knew in my life prior to that point were gone. You know, the, the things that I thought I had and was working toward were gone. Um, and so literally it was a process of starting over uh, and for preparing for our conversation today, I was kind you of- came very well prepared. <laughs> Thank you. I was trying to think about what some of those significant moments were. Um, and a gentleman named Evans Patton, who really changed my life, um, became a real mentor um, and, and guide for me, uh, gave me a book, you know, right when I was starting out. And the name of the book is The Go-Giver. Um, and really, you know, a go-getter is somebody who's very self-motivated and it's about my goals. Mm -hmm. A go-giver is somebody who really, you know, is trying to figure out how to solve things and work together and be part of something bigger, right? And, and um, I was just flipping through and the part of this book that, that resonates so much with me is this belief in authenticity and that we have nothing more valuable, no greater gift than being who we are. Right, and for somebody who's starting over and losing so much of what they thought they were, that is such an important message. Wow, wow! So you went through obviously something quite life-altering. What kind of advice, maybe, would you give to someone so that hopefully they can start <laughs> that evolution? You know, without having these these life-altering circumstances. Is there anything that you've found either with the people that you're working with now, or others that you've that you've coached or mentored on on how to help their own kind of conscious 
evolution? Yeah, um, I get asked that question a lot. Um, and normally it's because in life, we don't have these major events you know, all the time, right? Normally life is a process of days and months and you know, all that. Um, and uh, the commonality, right? The connective thread in all this is that anything we're trying to become starts as this quiet place inside of us, right? And if it's really different than how the world knows us, we sort of keep it in there because we're afraid or we're ashamed or, you know, people know me this way, so how will they react to me this way? And my advice to anybody is that that little voice, that little place inside, allowing it to live, allowing it to come out is the start of what is remarkable from there. Um, and that can be such a scary place, you know, to allow that to come out, but just having the courage to even let things slip out of our mouths really can open up wonderful things. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. There's been a lot of work. Uh, Brene Brown comes yeah, to mind yeah. a lot of work that recently that starting to really celebrate that vulnerability. And, and ultimately, you know, when I'm working with leaders and, and, and coaching on their, on their own development, but also their development, uh, of the organization, it really is how much are you willing to bear? I mean, that's part of what, what mm -hmm. leadership is. You need to lead. You need to be the first one to maybe open up or make yourself vulnerable. And then you allow the other people in the room to feel like it's a it's a safe space to do that as well. Totally. And, you know, you and I are both men, right? And there's so much pressure to sort of feel like we got it. I love that you used bear it, you know, like that's, that's I think, either psychologically or societally, that's how we feel. And I believe now that the strongest thing I can do as a leader is to say to people, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out together. Right. And I, I try to remember that all the time because I can't know all the answers or know what to do. But if I'm open enough to say, I don't know, and probably I'm scared because if it's something I don't know, I'm probably scared about it. Sure. And just getting that out allows us to start to work together. And that is the starting point of really amazing things. Wow. Well, you're, so you're starting to go on your own personal evolution. You're reading The Go-Giver. Um, I can't, it, it's hard for me to imagine in your, in your intro that you were ever not a conscious capitalist because you so embody it now. But how do you start then to think about, I mean, was there a dissatisfaction with, with where you were in your, in your career that it no longer felt meaningful? Or, or when did you start to think, I want to go more this entrepreneurial route, maybe even the, the cancer route? Yeah. Were those two things, did they come at the same time? Or did you go entrepreneur and then decide later that you wanted to support cancer? How did that all come together? Yeah, um, it was a breaking point for me. You know, my dad uh, passed from cancer um, and it was not a choice for me in that moment, it was, um, I'll call it a breakdown, right? I, I could not keep doing the work that I was doing, having just lost the man who was so significant in my life. I needed to do something about that, right? And that's the reason I became an entrepreneur and the reason I left the life that I had was because I had to feel like I was doing something because of how awful it felt to be in that place where we can't help a loved one, you know? And so, so much of what fuels me and what makes me never stop even when I'm tired is remembering how hard it is to be in that place because that's something that I really want to make a difference for, right? And so so all of that for me comes from that, that place of trying to get away from or, or make that better for others than it was for me. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I, obviously, <laughs> I, you know, I have a, a, an affinity towards those, those father-son relationships and, you know, how you can maybe stand on, on shoulders, but also build your own life from it. Yeah. Um, so, so what was your dad's name? Craig. Craig. Yeah. And, and 
Tell tell everyone what Craig's uh, famous quote, soon to be famous. The, the more you talk about it, because I absolutely love it. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Um, my dad, growing up, had a motto, and his motto was uh, the difficult we do immediately, the impossible just takes us a little longer, right? And that was how I grew up, believing that, you know, we could take on impossible things and make them happen. We just had to believe in ourselves. And it's so interesting. I was at my um, cousin's uh, high school graduation party last weekend, um, and my aunt, his grandmother, was there. And we were talking about the roots of that in our family, you know, and she remembers hearing that when she was a child. Oh, wow. So we were, well, was it my grandmother who started that, you know? But my dad absolutely lived that life and passed it on to me. And you know, that's what I try to do in this work now. Um, hope is a tricky thing, right? When we're facing really awful things, it can be easy to lose connection to hope. Um, and really our humanity and fighting for our, our life, right? Not just staying alive, but our life is what mm. I care about. Mm. So. Wow. I need to sit with that one for a minute. That's <laughs> yeah. beautiful. Uh, I, I as well. Uh, as I talk, I realize I still learn perspective every day. You know, it's, it's a new life for me. So you have a business that you start and really, I mean, from the core has a very social mission, has a very purposeful way of, of being. Um, how do you see business? What is the role of business in, in society in the future? You know, I, I quote this statistic all the time that there's a recent Harvard study that 51% of millennials no longer believe that capitalism is the best way to organize our economy. And, yeah. and you know, I, I truly believe that, um, that capitalism is the best way to unleash innovation. Now, yes, it does need to be kind of balanced by a more sense of community and sense of oneness. Uh, but but how do you see business having a role moving forward? Do you think it's possible to uh, get the next generation to to believe in it? I mean, you're certainly doing what you can, but uh, <laughs> what's that what's that like in your mind? Yeah, I mean, the the first thing I think of is that um, to me it seems like a lot of people think that you have to sacrifice doing well to be conscious. And I think it's the opposite. I think we do better by being conscious, you know? And so for us, um, donating a part of our total revenue to cancer charities is, it, it's not just something we do because we feel like we should. We believe that we're actually building people up and empowering the community through that work, right? And same thing with our team. Our employees are owners of the company. And we don't do that just because it's a nice thing to do. Like, they really are owners of this movement, you know? And, and I think... To, to separate and say, well, we have to think about profit over people or vice versa, they're not separate. To me, they go hand in hand. If you really want to affect something big, you're only going to do that by taking care of people. Um, and uh, so uh, Grit, when we founded the company, we all came together and identified our three core values, right? And for Grit, our core values are authenticity, be who we are, relentlessness, don't give up because it's going to get tough, mm. right? And we know that. Uh, and community, and right, community is we only uh, spend time around people who build each other up. And when you live that way, it's amazing how you attract people that are that way. And we push people away who aren't. And I'm okay with that because I, my, my role in life isn't to try to convert somebody. It's to try to build people up that really want to make a difference. 
Well, first of all, I applaud you for having only three core values because I can't tell you how many companies I've worked with and just to get them down below 10 and I, I'm usually aiming for five, but, but three is, is easy to remember and, uh, and those, are, those are impactful ones too. Thank you. Uh, but I, I think that's really important, right? Like there's a danger in, in conscious capitalism just like uh, sustainability before where people talked about greenwashing where you know you you may put out these great ads of how we're, we're being green or, or, or going green but how authentic is it really and and for for you obviously in your company um, everything that you do has to be in service of of those those values that you that you ascribe to. Uh, you know, you're talking about the ways that you are trying to build up your team in that way. And, and I, I think about that all the time in terms of how do we bring these values to the organization? Because as the values are seen by the people outside the organization, that really becomes your brand, right? Like if, if people aren't seeing those values in their interactions with you, then the, the values are nothing but a plaque on the wall, but then those values as they face internally to the people that you're working with, that's your culture. And we'll talk about authenticity. I mean, if, if the stated values that you have don't line up with the customer's experience and the other stakeholders' experience, that, that brand, and doesn't line up with the internal facing values, that culture, people are going to notice right away. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's one of the things too that I think is really interesting because a lot of people, as they're growing a company, uh, they may say, oh yeah, well, we're going to grow and we're going to get profitable. Then we'll think about that, you know, either corporate social responsibility or whatever they want to call it, but it's kind of like bolted on later and it's, it's like a nice to have. And you were talking about how having purpose can be kind of self-reinforcing to, to the profits. But ha- have there been any times as you've been growing where you've had to, um, you know, in, in a perfect world, those, those things are always aligned, but has, have there been any times where you've had to maybe, uh, you know, go away from a profit motive or, or think, take a longer-term perspective to, to follow your purpose? Yeah, so in cancer, we call it pink washing. Oh, perfect. Okay, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, so, you know, every October is pink washing, and every brand slaps a pink ribbon on their product, and, you know, one-tenth of one penny goes to that charity of their choice or whatever. And, you know, it it feels so disingenuine a lot of times because putting a pink ribbon, although I'm incredibly grateful for any money that people raise to do good, it's great. We need more of that. But really to live it as part of your brand and your culture is a very different thing, you know? And uh, sure... um, um, for me personally, um, uh, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll, I'll be real. Um, I believe so strongly in what we're doing that I don't understand why some people wouldn't operate that way, you know, mm. and whether that's, you know, thinking about people and how a treatment affects them or thinking about, um, for example, a young woman in her fertile years, to me, fertility should be a top part of that conversation immediately. A woman may want to have children again if she lives through cancer, right? and that's her choice. And f- the thing that I have to remember is um, the way I'm going to make a difference in the world is not to try to change people who don't believe that way, right? And we know pretty quickly companies or treatments that aren't thinking about the person, um, they stand out. You know, it's you, you can feel pretty quickly if something is authentic or not. And we absolutely only work towards brands and partnerships that really live that way, right? And, um, you know, you, you can tell pretty quickly if somebody's just pinkwashing or if including somebody in how they operate is a part of their principles. And that's what we look for. 
Beautiful. So. And and when you're growing too, that, that becomes an issue as well. You're saying that you could be uh, the bottleneck to your growth in some ways. So you're, you are going to have to hire eventually. I know, I know you do a, a lot, you have a lot of energy, but at some point you got to bring some other people on. And so how has that been as you're, as you're trying to grow the company to um, maintain that culture, but also to kind of screen for that authenticity and the, the folks that are really going to connect with your mission? Yeah. Um, fortunately, everybody that's with us now, we've known for a long time. We've mm. all come from the community and, and we have a lot of trust in each other. Um, uh, the point we were just talking about, um, we just got asked to work on a project uh, for a pharmaceutical company who has a new cancer therapy, and it's still at the stage where they can determine what form it'll be administered in, right? So either um, a capsule or a tablet or a liquid solution, it's stable enough for any of those. And they actually came to us and said, we want to know what these cancer patients prefer, right? And just the fact that a pharma company would not think about just production efficiency, right? Because I'm sure it's much more efficient to make one form over another, but to actually say, I want to know how our patients, do they prefer the convenience of a liquid or do they want to be able to take it in a capsule? And, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and just that thought process to me is where business is heading and our ability to make a difference, right? And those are the relationships we try really hard to pursue. Interesting. And, and so those, those folks that you have now, is it all or, or most have, have experienced cancer? Yeah. Uh, I think everybody has had cancer in their family, which is true for most of us. You know, there's not many of us that escape that. All of the four of us who founded the company have a direct, you know, life impacted by it. Um, and the, the first five members of our team are all survivors and caregivers as well. Um, but, but I don't want to discriminate against people who don't have a direct connection, right? And so actually the woman who is our VP of research, um, she does have cancer in her family, but she also has another, uh, condition that she deals with and her experience makes her just as human and just as impactful in the work, even though it's not cancer, it's still something that really affects her life. Right. And so, um, it's really important for us to support and hire cancer survivors, but not to just limit ourselves to that either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that came up when you're talking about the efficiency for, for some of those pharma companies, right. And, and whether or not they should do a capsule or, or liquids, uh, you know, efficiency is definitely something, at least short-term efficiency, that, that keeps people from adopting a more purposeful or mm. a, a more human approach, however, however you want to term it. Um, what other things do you see out in the marketplace? Because I'm sure that when you're out trying to get investment or, you know, you're in, in the startup community, that there's a lot of people and not any right or wrong to it, but that they may not have any kind of purpose or conscious capitalism type of mentality in their business. So, other, is it just efficiency? Is it just trying to be profitable? Or what do you think holds other companies back from adopting that kind of mindset or at least evolving in that direction? Uh, yeah, so uh, great question. Um, I, I think fear is a big part of it. You know, it's, uh, it's so much easier to live in tangible and quantifiable things. You know, we can uh, live in decimal places and know what it is this month and what it was last month and, you know, what we're going to forecast next month. And there's security in that level of concreteness. Um, and actually, the FDA did something this year that's profound in healthcare. And so up until this year, 
in new treatments, it's always been about biology, right? How long do we live or how do we live, right? And this year, for the first time, the FDA is now requiring that patient experience data gets submitted with an application. And that means we actually now have to talk to the patient and see how they're doing. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, exactly. And that's complex, right? Humanity is complex. Um, And it takes real courage to be able to lean into that and say, we believe that how we live and how we live with a disease or past a disease is important enough that we're going to roll up our sleeves and figure it out, you know? And so I encourage people not to be afraid to take that step um, because certainly it's different than really decimal point kind of approaches. But at the end of the day, what we arrive at is a much better representation of what matters and how we're doing treating that. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I've seen actually some stats where uh, there's there's different surveys of folks that are going into business school and how much they want to have some kind of social mission or, or have a purposeful business or maybe go into nonprofits. And, and essentially, it gets sucked out of them in, being in business school because it's a lot easier to take the class in, I don't know, finance or accounting and learn about the numbers piece of it. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I'd love to see some of that changing. And, and actually, even even here locally in Rochester, I see more and more that there's uh, social entrepreneurship clubs or Roberts Wesleyan has an Enactus program. So there's they are encouraging that more. But when you are interacting with folks who are on the startup scene, uh, is there anything that you've found to be uh, any little seeds that you can plant <laughs> in their mind to, to start to get them to think that way? Or do you, uh, do you have anybody that's in your, in your company that you're kind of mentoring or, or how have you started to maybe pay some of this forward of the considerable learning and growth that you've had? Yeah, I, I, I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, I do get approached a lot. You know, um, I taught a class in entrepreneurship at RIT. Um, a lot of times we have the startup, you know, um, programs and all that kind of stuff come in and meet with us. And I love that because there's so much excitement about that. Um, and my message to everybody, right, is what's the purpose? And if somebody can't answer the purpose in what they're doing, they can write eloquent business plans or create really sophisticated projections. But if they can't answer the purpose, then really there's no heart that's going to drive it forward. You know, And my purpose, the reason I get up every day, is to empower individuals to find things that fit their life. Right, and I will deal with all kinds of financing hurdles and sales hurdles and, and you know hiring hurdles. But that's my purpose, and it makes those other challenges manageable because I never lose track of my purpose. And I want young entrepreneurs to really know what it is for them because it's going to be hard. Right, back to relentlessness. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have an anchor, if you don't have something that you're willing to push through, you know the really hard stuff for, it's too easy to give up. And so my message to anybody is really spend time exploring purpose. And when I was 18, I didn't know it, right? You know, it's easy for me to say it now, fast forward all these years, right? But purpose is something we learn and it is what breathes life into everything else that is just the sort of abstract. Yeah, and I think that that's actually something that I've seen, again, some, some research that shows that people almost get so... Um, scared about oh I need to I why don't I understand my purpose I what is it yeah. where where do I find it and and, yeah. and that's part of the reason I love this this word evolution right mm-hmm. is you need to go out there and explore it you need to maybe test a few things out so I think that 
um, taking a little bit of pressure off yourself that at 18, maybe you don't need to have that purpose uh, all set yeah. uh, it is you, important. How do you reassure people, right? I mean, this all involves risk, right? And, and searching for our purpose involves risk, right? How do you reassure people that it's, that it's out there and that it's possible? No, I, I, think, I think a big piece of it is helping them to to see where where other people have been in their shoes. I, I think that it requires vulnerability from leaders, uh, you know, like yourself, who can who can talk about the struggles that they've had, and and talk about how they've been figuring out as they go along. You know, in in the rearview mirror, it all makes sense and it all seems linear, but but we've all jumped around a, a lot of different ways. Actually, there's a, an exercise we use with a, a lot of leaders when we're introducing groups to each other on a retreat and it's called the lifeline and people, you know, if you were, if you, I was to ask you to introduce yourself, you'd probably give a bunch of the highlights where you went to school, you know, your family, those sorts of things. And what we actually do with the lifeline is there's, there's a line drawn down the middle of the, of the paper and it's map the highs and lows of your life. Wow. And so right off the bat, we're we're gonna slug them. We're gonna we're gonna make them dig deep and talk Good. about some of those some of those things that have that have been a challenge, uh, you know, because you don't realize how many things people have been through, how many things people you know are carrying around with them. Whether it's a cancer diagnosis, whether it's caring for a loved one, there, there's all sorts of things that uh, you know are invisible to us, and and seeing some of that. And then actually I, I applaud uh, my father. We've talked a little bit about father-son relationships. He always, always, always gives his lifeline first. And he says, mine's the longest and probably the most screwed up. And so he gives, he gives his lifeline and talks about the highs and lows of his life. So I think that's part of leadership is being able to, being able to lead, being able to go first and be vulnerable. I admire that because there's a lot of risk in that. You know? And uh, we compare ourselves to everybody else's highlight reel. Right. And we Absolutely. often don't give ourselves permission to realize that, you know, you've had struggles, I've had struggles. And if we're just open about those, it makes the whole thing a lot more real. Yeah. Well, somehow we're coming close to our time. So I do want to take a few minutes at the end just to really, other than uh, The Go-Giver, which I, I read a long time ago and, and more recently have read Give and Take by Adam Grant, where he kind of talks about a similar mentality, but in a group setting. Uh, but I, I think I want to go back and, and read The Go-Giver. Uh, is there anything else that you can point to, uh, whether it's advice, whether it's, I mean, I'm just watching TED Talks all day long <laughs> and, and those sorts of things. Are there, are there books? Are there, are there other things that you really have found uh, important to you? Or maybe, maybe it's finding a mentor. I don't know. What kind of advice do you have for people who are embarking on that conscious leadership journey? Yeah, I think what touches each of us is very unique, right? We, we each are so complex and so wonderful. So I don't recommend anything that's going to affect everybody. Um, another book uh, actually written by a friend of mine that really changed my life uh, is called Winning in the Middle of the Pack, right? And very similarly, if we're used to, you know, having to be on a, a pedestal or, a, you know, finishing, right, in first place and all the competitive ways we're taught, winning in the middle of the pack is what life is like when you surround yourself with people that all move forward together, 
right? And for somebody like me who was an athlete and a bodybuilder and, you know, I pushed myself and pushed myself to win a title, that's a hard thing, right? Because that's, that's what I know. But that book really changed my outlook. And it's so funny. So Dave Richmond, who wrote the book, uh, went from, you know, being a workaholic and smoker to being an ultra marathon runner. And uh, he pushed me to do my first run. I'm not a runner. Uh, I'm more suited to leave potholes than, you know, <laughs> sprints. Um, but uh, he encouraged me to run the, the turkey trot here in Rochester. Um, and I remember ter- being terrified. It's more comfortable for me to fly to China for work than it was to run a 5K in my backyard. Wow. And I started that race and just the process of going through the starting gate with hundreds, actually, it was more like a couple thousand people, I started to cry because that was one of the first things that I wasn't doing to come in first place. But it was something I was pushing myself because I wanted to be better and to be a part of something in that moment in my life. And it was just this beautiful moment of, I don't need to win, but I'm moving something forward, right? And so that book, uh, Winning in the Middle of the Pack, had a profound impact on me. But ask people that you respect because they will have similar books that have just like you, moved you. Well, and now I've got my my reading list just got a little bit, the stack just got a little bit taller. I haven't read that one. So that, that sounds like a good one. But I think it's actually, it's on the US News and World Report top 10 books that will change your life. Really? Yeah, the Bible is, I think, number one. Okay. And Dave Richmond's book is on that. Wow, list, so that's, a, that's a good pretty elite. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, if you, uh, would like to check it out, I, I would highly recommend seeing, seeing Dave's TED talk. And uh, you will see that he was, in fact, a bodybuilder, and, and it, it, it is not a photoshopped image. Um, where else, other than other than checking out the the TEDx talk, um, where else can can people find out about you? Just I know, I know you mentioned it earlier, but just to wrap up, yeah. uh, where, where can they find more about Grit or maybe the Stupid Cancer app? Yeah, I would in, uh, encourage anybody to go to Facebook first, uh, Grit, G-R-Y-T, Health, on Facebook. And the reason is um, we've really worked on sharing stories, right? And certainly I'm a part of that story, but there are also so many really powerful stories on the Facebook. Um, and we actually do these couple minute vignettes of people sort of telling their story. And uh, in two or three minutes, you really get a sense of you know some of these powerful evolutions people are going through um, and, and watch a couple of them. And I think it'll be a really um, certainly moving, if not profound experience. Wow, Dave. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been my uh, honor. Thank you. Are, you are definitely uh, an exemplar of conscious capitalism, and it's fun to watch this evolution. And, and as I mentioned, I think we're going to have to, somewhere down the line, do another one of these, learn a little bit about how, how you continue to evolve and grow. And so thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.